All right, let's do this. Day 26 of 100, and we are here to talk about type 1 today. So let's do it. Ones at their best are principled and orderly, and at their worst can be perfectionistic or self-righteous. Um, we get a, a stereotype, though, of ones, and I want to refute that up front. So it's not that ones are these stereotypically perfectionistic people that we think about having pristine, clean homes and cars and everything being just so. That can be true of, of some ones, but it's not going to be true of all of them because what is really happening here in the the type pattern is just this awareness, always seeing what needs fixing, what can be improved, how to reform things uh, to make them better, where the mistakes are, how to correct them. They're just seeing that and responding to that. But generally speaking, this tendency toward perfectionism is going to be channeled into a very specific area. So they might be focusing all of that energy and attention toward improving or perfecting their home or their space, or it might be more of um, reforming or perfecting things on a, a more social or societal level. Again, there's a real desire for justice here that tends to to be found in one. So it, we shouldn't think that just because someone doesn't have a pristinely clean home or car or something like that, that they can't be a one. It's much more complex than that. Um, and again, it's, it's the motivation, not just the behaviors that are at play here. So the basic fear is of being corrupt or defective. And the basic desire then is to be good and to have integrity and to be balanced. The motivating need is to be perfect, which is really an attempt to ensure that they are good, to prove wrong that fear that they might be bad or defective in some way. So they, they want to live their life the right way. Uh, and that includes improving themselves and the world around them. And they can do that quite effectively. Uh, these are values-oriented people. And ones as children are often kind of the little adults. These are kids who you can entrust the other children with. They might be model students. They might have a hard time erasing in school and learning to do that because it just, it needs to be perfect. Um, they, they may keep their space quite organized. They may really focus on perfecting a craft or a skill or a game or something they're interested in. One of the hallmarks of the type one is this inner critic and the volume on the voice of that inner critic is turned up for ones. They hear this perhaps more loudly or relentlessly than some of us do. And that critic is not saying kind things. And they're quite, they can be quite hard on themselves. So from that, that inner voice, they're hearing all of this criticism and thinking that it's helping them to improve things or, or to do better. And what can happen is that can overflow. And so sometimes when one's voice criticism to others, it's uh, almost a way of showing love or care. And that's very real, and it is also sometimes a very real problem in relationships because not a lot of us have um, criticism as our preferred love language. And so that can be something to work out in relationship with ones. But they are going to express their love and their care 
often through action. So saying I love you by being responsible, by doing what's expected of them, um, to make the world better, to make the household run better, to, to make a more secure place for you, for people that they care about. Ones tend to need a good bit of feedback and clear rules to know how they're measuring up um, because they do want to be doing things the right way and they want to take every step that is required to do a job well, to do it the right way. And they really just struggle to have an accurate evaluation of themselves because those voices are so, so critical. And so it helps to have some objective measures for them to know uh, how they're doing and not just totally be relying on themselves to evaluate because they'll, they'll always see what they're doing wrong before they'll see what they're doing right. Because ones are um, in that body-gut triad and they tend to repress those instincts or those drives or desires that are just quite natural, they can end up being very drawn to kind of body control tactics like strict diets or intense workout regimens, um, even so far as celibacy or asceticism. In some cases, the control of the body and proving to oneself that, um, that you can control the body is often important for ones in one way or another. And it's really important for the rest of us to remember because ones are so focused on doing things the right way and they are dealing with that relentless critic. It's important that the rest of us don't ask them to be spontaneous or to do things they're unprepared to do if we don't have to because we're just risking kind of feeding them to that inner critic. Um, ones often like to be prepared and to have things rehearsed or um, or just ready ahead of time. And so we would do well to respect that and, and try not to ask for too much um, in a surprise way when we can help it. Furthermore, ones are often um, black and white thinkers. There's a right or no correct way and there's a wrong way. And uh, they prefer tasks to be systematic. And of course, you know, some of the work is loosening those structures a bit, uh, learning to engage gray area and uh, accepting that there's often more than one right way and uh, and there can be some flexibility there. And ones really do need vacations to fully relax and loosen up and access some of their seven point, which is their security point. Um, th they really need, if, if at all possible, to get out of their zone of responsibility to be in a space where they are not responsible for everything, not feeling the weight of that, so that they can um, just loosen up and have some fun. And, and they can do that quite, quite readily. It's just important to make space for that and to prioritize that and to get that break from just the weight of all the responsibility that ones do tend to put on themselves or ends up being expected of them because they are so capable and attentive to quality and, and doing things well. So sometimes we call ones the reformers. Let's talk about that for a second because there are pros and there are cons to this. Um, they can be reformers of injustice, of abuses of power, advocates for, for fairness and equality. Um, they like religious or sometimes political or social causes because these are kind of righteous outlets for their anger. Remember, that is the core underlying issue, but 
if you're so focused on being good as ones are, it's very easy for anger to be labeled as a bad emotion, something that one shouldn't feel. And so if that anger is is directed at systemic injustice or abuses of power or what have you, then that is appropriate. That is a good use of one's anger or just energy. A lot of times ones don't actually relate to having anger. They just, it feels like energy maybe. There can be a flip side, a downside to this though, because sometimes what can happen is that ones will start prescribing what helps to kind of quiet their inner voices for others. So, so a lot of times doing, uh, doing hard work, doing good work, uh, helps quiet the critic to some degree. And then, you know, seeing things kind of black and white and, and thinking naturally that there's going to be one right way in most cases, they can start kind of prescribing that as the way for others as well. And so I think this is how we potentially got things like the Protestant work ethic. And I think it was John Calvin who said people should work every day, 365 days a year, even Christmas Day or something. And, um, you know, he may have needed to do that to quiet his voices and to feel okay about himself. But most of us um, absolutely do not need to live that way. And in fact, it's kind of problematic to try. So it's just, there. there's some care that should be taken there to check what needs to be prescribed for others and what is okay and needed for, for oneself. Finally, some growing edges. Simply just do something fun. Prioritize that on a regular basis. Um, to try to observe one's how you accept criticism and ask, you know, can you be less defensive perhaps? Because what happens a lot of the time is ones deal with such constant criticism in their own head that if any of that is added from the outside, it can be devastating um, or, or very overwhelming. And sometimes there can be some defensiveness that comes up. To resist the urge to correct people and instead tell them what you appreciate about them just kind of changes what you're paying attention to and can be very helpful in in relationships the vice for ones is anger but in the form of resentment and often that starts with resentment towards themselves for not living up to their own standards and then that can bleed over to others for not living up to their standards as well. And the virtue that's the flip side of that is patience or serenity, which simply means learning to accept that there's more than one way to do things and to accept things as they are. The lost childhood message, the thing that did not get through to, to ones for whatever reason, is simply you are good. And the wounding message that did get internalized by ones is it's not okay to make mistakes. So if you have not really believed or received the message that you are good and you're hearing that it's not okay to make mistakes, you see how these compound to create the dynamics that we've been talking about, I hope. So people to read or to study um, famous ones include Richard Rohr, who has I can't even count how many books um, now, and, and those, especially the recent ones, I think are excellent. Joan Baez is thought to be a one, the musician, civil rights activist. Gandhi is a, a great kind of quintessential example of oneness. And then some characters that, that we might know from pop culture, 
uh, Atticus Finch is kind of an archetypal one. Mary Poppins with her practically perfect in every way stuff. And uh, Mr. Spock from Star Trek is often portrayed as a one with that internal tension and focus on repressing these uh, instincts or desires and the inner conflict that persists for him in that. And then finally, back to uh, back to real people, I should not forget to mention Christina Cleveland, who is a, is a writer and racial justice activist and theologian who's doing great work. All right, that'll have to do it for today. Remember, that is a, a snapshot, a brief look into one's an excerpt from my Enneagram Introductions workshop. There's much more to say, and, and that will be available later on. But we continue tomorrow, and we will do an, an overview of the heart triad, numbers 2, 3, and 4. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. Bye.